Welcome to the Alia Graphic Podcast. And today we've got an awesome chat with a comic creator I've been meaning to talk to for a long time. Now, I'm Jorge Urrutia, and I'm the Alia Graphic Novels and Comics convener. But before we get started, as a national group based across the land we call Australia, I would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional custodians of this land and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. And me personally, I would specifically like to acknowledge the Wunurong people as the custodians of the land from where I'm speaking and where I work and live. And I pay respects to the elders past and present of all First Nations people across the land and thank them for their rich storytelling traditions and art. We need truth-telling and treaty. Um, today, we have a creator chat and we have a special guest who has been making comics in Australia for a very long time. I think since I was probably about six or seven. Uh, so welcome to the podcast, Tim McEwen. How are you going? Thank you. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Uh, an absolute pleasure. Um, and um, I, I've been looking forward to having this conversation for a long time. So um, it's great to have you here. Thank you. Now, as I mentioned, you, you've been making comics since the 80s, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and not necessarily comics that libraries would have, actually. I have to say that uh, as well. Because uh, you've been publishing them independently and in single issues or floppies, um, although there are plans to change uh, that, but we'll talk about that later. Uh, yeah. For those who don't know you, could, could you introduce yourself and the comics you've been making? Yeah, thanks. So uh, I, I, I've been making my, the comic. Let, let's start with that. The comic that I'm probably most well known for is Greener Pastures, and yes, it comes out as uh, as floppies, as single issues. Um, and there's it, it's funny because there's only seven issues of Greener Pastures and a, and a few specials, and yet I'm I, I'm still kind of most well known for that, and quite well known for that in comic circles. Um, but yeah, I've been making comics since, like I've had comics published since I was like 17 or 18 years old. Uh, I started off with comic strips in local newspapers, local rags. Um, uh, some of them were like gag strips. Some of them were more like, uh, what do you call them? Like Sunday strip size comics. Mm -hmm. um, so I did that for a, for a few years. Uh, none of it was paid, you know, but uh, it was great experience. And at that point, like trying to figure out how comics, how you get comics published. Like th there was no internet, there was no school. Like, so this was just, and I didn't know people who made comics. So it was just me trying to figure out how to, how do you get comics out there? So yeah. newspapers seemed to be a good way to do that from what I could tell at the time. But when I did start to meet comic book people, um, you know, a few, a few people here and there, uh, I started to see mini comics, you know, photocopied comics, which now uh, are referred to more like zines, uh, but I still call them mini comics, especially when they're A5 in size. Um, and uh, and we got I got a couple of, you know, actual comics pu published there. So comic stories on a comic page rather than a strip that need to continue week to week. Um, and because that's what I was really interested in. You know, I've, I've always read comics. I can't remember like one of my earliest memories. And as I get older, I think it's now turned into probably my earliest memory that I actually still have in my brain box is, um, is me with my comics and, you know, sitting on the floor with a stack of comics this high, like, I don't know, half a dozen comics going, these are my comics. This is my collection before I even knew that collecting comics was a thing. Uh, so, you know, comics have been in my life for as long as I can remember as, as has drawing. And so the two of those things kind of go together uh, and like never let go of each other, I think. So, um, yeah, trying to find ways to, to get comics made was, was always the thing for me. Like how did, how do they, how are they made and where do you get them published? And, yeah. um, so meeting other comic people who were a little bit further along in that journey than me, uh, self-publishing mini comics, uh, and then meeting people, uh, like the Cyclone Comics crowd, um, Mm -hmm. and, and figuring out that they were publishing it themselves. Um, you know, I, I met uh, 
not that I can really remember meeting them, but I, I met them at um, at a comic convention at the Sydney Opera House a long time ago when they were just launching. Um, so I think that was probably the first time I was really going, hang on, this is like like a Marvel comic, even though it's black and white, but it's published by these guys who are standing in front of me, and it, it started to make sense at that point, uh, even though it was quite a few years later before I actually started publishing my own books. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Well, uh, you, you mentioned that actually um, that you've always kind of read comics. So I got going back in time, you know, because you mentioned it there. Uh, when when did you start reading comics, and what comics did you read as a kid that made you fall in love with the medium? Yeah, so I don't know exactly how old I was. Probably like it was probably school age, like maybe kindergarten, I guess. Um, but maybe it was a bit earlier than that. I don't know. Um, but I had, uh, I don't know if anyone's talked to you about this before, but I had the the Newton Comics reprints of Marvel Comics. So in Australia, uh, we had a, a publisher called Newton Comics who were reprinting 1960s Marvel Comics in the 1970s, but pretending as if they were practically Marvel themselves, right? They had yes. their own uh, letters pages, which had a real great personality and, you know, riffing on that whole Stanley Excelsior sort of thing from the 60s. Yeah. Um, and that was really the first comics. And they were superhero comics. Um, and I kind of, I've, I, it took me an extraordinarily long time to extricate myself from superhero comics. As in, even as a kid, um, I didn't like reading Disney comics or, or you know, Looney Tunes comics or any of those. Like, if it wasn't superheroes, I didn't want to know it. Um, and I just loved them. And I, I loved them, you know, throughout the, the 70s and the 80s. Uh, but come the 80s, I started, because I was going to comic shops, I, I finally discovered comic specialty shops here in Sydney mm -hmm. um, and starting to see, like, weird black and white indie stuff that wasn't superheroes some of which were superheroes but were like a, a lot more interesting than marvel superheroes because yeah. they were they didn't have the same rules so that's when i started to to kind of branch out or um find that that there were even more interesting stories out there and stories could be done in different ways and more interesting ways um yeah. so it's it it's still kind of the, the memories of finding, I think before I even found a comic shop, there was a, for those of you who live in Sydney, on George Street where I think it's event cinemas are now, it was Hoyt's. And in the foyer, there was like a little little bookstall mm -hmm. um, that would sell like novels, you know, and, and uh, you know, sci-fi and fantasy novels, probably one of the few places in Sydney that did, but also books and magazines about movies like Cinefix would have been there. Um, so books, you know, and magazines about science yeah. fiction and um, uh, the way, uh, you know, behind the scenes of movies and that kind of thing. Uh, one of my most important books ever I bought there, which was uh, the Star Wars, the, um, uh, script the complete script of the original set 1977 Star Wars uh, mm. with lots of production drawings and it was an amazing book uh, but they had a mm. few kind of comics as well or, or book or, or comics about comics not actually comics and I yeah. think that was probably my first introduction to like Fantagraphics and other kind of uh, indie publishers like mm. that and I was like, I was like, what is this weird book about the X-Men with a complete listing of every issue? And what are these weird drawings? They're not by John Byrne and and yeah. and uh you know, they're they're by fan artists, but they they're almost cooler than John Byrne's drawings because they're kind of a little bit weird. Mm -hmm. Um so that was like a really interesting introduction to me to to start getting you know, left a field there. Directly across the the road was Gould's Bookstore, huge secondhand bookstore, which, you know, in recent years moved to Newtown and then even more recently has shut down by the looks of it. And they've got a little bookstore somewhere else. Um, but they had this weird table, huge table um, mm. with wooden sides on it. Um, so that the books wouldn't fall off, but it was just it was just nothing but comics, black and white comics, and you just rummaged through it. It's not like they were in a box that you could kind of flick through. Um, they were just lying down in this sea, and yeah. they were they were mostly um, like underground comics, and you know, like Zap and Fairy Freak Brothers and that kind of thing. And not only that, but they were Australian reprintings, illegal bootlegs 
of underground comics yeah. uh, that were being published out of Melbourne. And like, so that was another weird thing to be introduced to this underground thing it was probably, you know, it was, it was a big leap from reading uh, the Avengers to reading yeah. the Furry Freak Brothers, you know, with no context whatsoever. So yeah, yeah that, that was kind of the way that, that my fractured uh, education in, in comics yeah. happened pretty much all of a sudden at that point. I've got I've got a bit of a story with that. I'll 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 tell you the very short version. But I was very very lucky because my my dad always read comics, uh, so I remember him reading comics to me when I was little. I couldn't even read, yeah, you know, and he would read them to me, and um, of course he would select uh, pages. Because there were pages that he was like, oh, no, I shouldn't read that one. Because uh, most <laughs> of the comics he had were kind of adult ones. But then they were there. Yeah. They, they were at home. Um, uh, they were in the living room. So I remember you mentioned the Fairy Freak Brothers, for example. He yeah. Had, uh, he had the whole collection. and wow. uh, And I remember reading them when I um, I wasn't even 10. <laughs> and I I laughed my head off. Obviously, yeah. I didn't understand a lot of things, but there, there were a lot of things that I found absolutely hilarious in those stories, and I loved them. Way yeah. too young. But anyway. <laughs> I um, think sometimes it's a good thing to be reading stuff you shouldn't be reading way yeah. too young. <laughs> and then, of course, uh, then I went to the library, and then I, in the library I found lots of other stuff because I yeah. started buying comics, but comics are always expensive, so I also discovered that the library had comics. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, and thankfully in Europe we're pretty lucky um, that the libraries there have always had um quite a large collection and very yeah. varied collection. Um, now, uh, talking about these things, actually, what was the moment that you decided, you know, I'm not, I don't want to just read comics. I want to make comics. What's, mm. the, what's your origin story as a creator? Yeah, I, I don't really know. I, I used to do a lot of drawing of, of comic book characters, but I didn't really draw comics much on my own um i would i would draw covers for, like if i when i bought a comic and i read it i would draw the cover but not their version of the cover what i think would be a better cover um I, I, and you know I, I do a lot of that kind of thing and it was really an extension of my collecting right it wasn't really making comics it was how else can i play with my comics right um so it wasn't again i, I it there must have been a tipping point, and I don't know when that was, but it was probably like mid to late teens, probably more like late teens, uh, when I said to myself, well, where can I get comics published if I wanted to draw them? I think that was probably a barrier. It's really interesting when uh, when people ask me these questions in interviews because I normally am not self-investigative uh, enough to, to think about this sort of stuff yeah. until somebody asked me. And it probably was – a barrier to me that um, I didn't know how, how, you know, where, where would it get published? I might as well not draw it sort of thing, yeah. you know, um, until I, I saw an ad in the paper saying we're doing a youth insert to the local newspaper. We're looking for contributions. Do you like to write or draw? So I said, I'll draw comics. And they said, okay. And that was probably the first time that I actually started to do the sequential stuff because there was actually a, uh, an avenue for it to get printed. Mm -hmm. a bit weird for me right that unless it's going to be printed why am i bothering to draw it i guess was yeah. not that i wasn't drawing i was drawing heaps but not actual sequential pages or strips that's cool wow that's probably the first time i figured that out thanks for asking that one yogi <laughs> no worries <laughs> now you were also instrumental in getting the ledger awards which are now renamed the comic arts awards of australia yeah. Uh, uh, so you were instrumental in getting that started. Uh, so could you talk to us what prompted you to start the awards, what it was like to get them started? Yeah. So uh, we'll, we'll take a couple of steps back. A, f a few years, I think about five years before I tried to get the, the Ledger Awards up, Gary Shalina. Uh, one of Australia's greatest comic book artists mm -hmm. um, and writers 
had already created the Ledger Awards and they ran for three years. Uh, and every year that he ran it, they were slightly different. Um, and, and, you know, he was trying to find his feet, I think, as to how to make an Australian comic book award work properly. Um, and at the time, I, I can't remember the exact phrasing, but he was saying something like, we are good enough. We should have our own awards. Why aren't we acknowledging uh, the the level of talent in this country? And that's why he started it. So that ran for three years, and for whatever reason, it stopped. Um, and I was pretty, not that I like to talk about it much, but I was pretty heavily involved with Supernova um, and the and the uh, creation of Supernova, the comic convention uh, here in Australia. Um, and I tried very much to to be involved with the comic book side of that and look after the comic book people, the the um, artist alley aspect of it, and that kind of thing. And I thought this this is the time now that there's a comic convention, and now that 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 it just looks like there is such a huge, uh, a huge wealth of comics being made, quantity and quality. I think it's time again that we had a an awards to acknowledge that, yeah. um, to, to help people see that there is great stuff, to to give people uh, a reason to get together and celebrate just how great Australian comics are. Um, so I used Supernova as a platform to uh, to at least begin that. We broke away from that pretty quickly for uh, reasons I won't go into. But, um, but so your question is, uh, why the Ledger Awards? Uh, because... Australian comics are world class, um, and yet we don't get a look in into the other awards unless you know we really, you know, are, are out there on the international stage. So the books that are not on the international stage should also get that spotlight. So, um, yeah. and part of the thing with the Ledger Awards, which are now, as you say, the Comic Arts Awards of Australia, are, um, is to make everybody every comic on a, on an even playing field. So whether you're an internationally distributed uh, artist or writer for Marvel comics, you know, the biggest publisher in the world, yeah. or whether you make a mini comic uh, that's only sold at zine fairs, uh, you're yeah. being, uh, you're being looked upon uh, by the judges in the same way, which is, is this an exemplary piece of work? Not what are your sales, not how many awards have you already yeah. won, not how how famous are you, um, but is this an exemplary piece? So that's why like mini comics, which people have never heard of outside of the zine fairs of the, uh, of the city that has been sold in, have been shortlisted and even won, you know, bronze, silver or gold uh, alongside, you know, people who uh, have got international deals with Marvel, DC, etc. cetera. Um, yeah. and, and that that was probably uh you know i think one of the most important aspects of of the ledger awards um when we were coming up with the idea of how to how to figure out what the award structure was yeah. so to go back again um when i said let's do an awards uh gary shallon i got wind of it uh and and said can i help and i said thank god yes please because <laughs> it's a lot of work <laughs> yes. so the more brains the better and i'm pretty sure it was actually his brain that came up with the idea um of that methodology it doesn't matter the page count or the production method um you you get gold you get gold silver or bronze uh on just the the quality of the work as it stands yeah. not versus something else right yeah. it's just look at it by itself is this exemplary is this an amazing piece of comics creation then it's deserving of an award still something that we have to drill into the heads of of the uh um the judges every year like it's a hard thing to get your head around yeah. because people yeah. go well i'm not going to vote for this one or, or put this one on my list rather I'm not going to put this one on my list because it's not as good as this one. But it's like, you know, if 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 X wasn't on your list, would Y be on it? Yes. Well, then just put both on there, right? Yeah. That's the thing. Our 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 gold. It's not like we give away one gold per awards. Sometimes we give away more, and it could be as many as ten. You know, if there are that many comics produced in a single year that are worthy of the gold, then yeah. they should all get gold. Yeah. Uh, I. It is a totally different methodology and um and um yeah i remember bruce mutard explaining mm -hmm. it to me you know and i was like okay that, that that's oh, that's yeah. very different but it's really interesting and uh definitely it's something that sets the 
um, the Coming Out Awards of Australia apart, in my own. Mm. So I, I hope that doesn't change. Yeah. Yeah. And, we, and we, you're talking we, about mini comics, and I'm like, I've got mini comics right here, you know, because uh, I was. I was at the festival of the photocopier just a couple of weeks ago. Um, um, so I brought I, I bought this and I bought a few zines and yeah, definitely. I, I spend more money at a zine fair at a large zine fair like Other Worlds, or I don't know if the MCA is still doing theirs, but like Other Worlds zine fair in Sydney is pretty big. Yeah. It's very big. Um, I've spent more money there than I do at a comic convention because there's so much stuff I've never seen and it's so interesting and exciting. Um, and I really feel like interesting compared to what I was, yeah, interesting <laughs> compared to what I was saying before about uh, when I was younger, it was superheroes or nothing. It's like I, I need as much interesting, different uh, ways of making comics, you know, in front of me as possible to keep yeah. me, uh, you know, seeing the possibilities. Same here. I spent more money there than I uh, than I've spent at Supernova in the last um, I don't know how many years put together. Mm. Uh, you know. If, if you leave out the ticket, which is expensive enough. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, you're still involved in the comedy, actually, for the Platinum Award, I think. Yeah. Uh, so for those who don't know, could you tell us what it is and its importance? Yeah. So Gary and I ran it for quite a while, and, and a few people have run it run it since then, since we retired. Uh, but I've stayed on the, on the Platinum Committee. So the Platinum uh, is an award given basically for community service. So it's given to people who, uh, or, or entities, it doesn't have to be a person, it can, it can be a like a, an event or something, um, given for, uh, for efforts to advance the comics medium and the comics medium specifically in Australia. So that's, a, again, another weird sort of thing that needs a little bit more explanation to the judging panel. But, um, you know, it's, it's people, it's given to people or entities that are selflessly trying to advance the cause of Australian comics. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's been given to, uh, like, one of the early ones was Squish Face Studios. One of the recent ones was uh, Paper Cuts uh, Festival. Um, we often have in our head... Uh, you know, let's not just give it historically. It's good if we can give it to something that's actually a going concern um, or perhaps mm -hmm. a, a, an, a, an event or an activity that looks like uh, it, it needs some more encouragement, you know, yeah. to, to keep going, do it again, do it again. Yeah. You know, here's a, here's a piece of wood to tell you what you're doing is important and you should keep doing it. Um, yeah. So uh, it takes a bit of thought. We, we have a, a bit of a uh, you know, bit of a discussion every year because every the people on the panel are mostly people who have received the award in the past, um, and because mostly we're kind of concentrating on what it is that we're doing and making in our immediate environment, um, we don't always know what's happening around the rest of the country. So we we also get people to nominate uh, via the website, you know, who or what they think would be a a, a valid. Uh, yeah, uh, person or entity to look into. Yeah, uh, it, no, it's a really important award. Uh, yeah, and, and it's great to see like the the organizations you mentioned. Uh, I remember the Comic Arts Workshop as well, receiving yeah. it. You know, and what they do is is amazing. And the graphic novels that have come out of that program is yeah. just so. Yeah, it's uh, it's really really valuable. So excellent. Now. Uh, before we get into greener pastures, because obviously we need to talk about that, but uh, you've been around for a very long time, uh, and 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 you've been talking about all these things, and you've been involved in the awards as well and all that. So, you know, I thought that maybe it'd be interesting to hear, you know, uh, from your perspective, how has the Australian comic scene um, or community? Uh, I often hear that, you know. Uh, creators <laughs> prefer to talk about the Australian comics community. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, how has it changed? How, how is it evolving from your perspective? Yeah. So, again, like I was saying, when I was much younger, it was very hard to know what was happening in other states or, or cities because uh, there was no internet. Um, it was a, it was really fantastic when you would stumble upon a mini comic or something that was being made in Ballarat or Perth, you know, from me in Sydney, these places are, 
uh, almost mythological. They're so far away, you know, and, and you go, wow, this is from Perth. This is amazing. You know, they're making comics there. This is an incredible piece of work. Um, yeah. but again, that, that collector kind of uh, excitement happens. You go, oh, my God, there's stuff I've never seen before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and now it's like it's on the Internet. So you can easily or more easily find out, you know, what the scene is like in any place in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a as a creator, it was really interesting to watch um, that like Cyclone Comics kind of launched at the Opera House uh, Comic Convention way back in whatever that was, 1989 or 1990, I think, whatever it was. Um, and there were comics happening, but not a lot of them. And then uh, OzCon happened. So not Oz Comic Con, but OzCon, which was made by King's Comics. And that ran... I think from like 1990 uh, for about seven years. Um, and in that period, I don't know if it was a coincidence or whether it, mm-hmm. it was the spark, but that's when the 1990s, like real uh, black and white boom in Australian comics happened. That's when Greener Pastures, Platinum Grit, um, Platinum, um, Bug and Stump, uh, Issue One, Cyber Swine, Zero Assassin, uh, Herbert Depot, did I say that one already? Anthology, um, you know, all of these black and white comics with newsstand distribution all happened in that period. Yeah. Uh, and I wonder whether or not that was because there was a convention once a year for us to go to as well that, yeah. that really kind of sparked that, brought interstaters together, uh, but also showed us that there were fans and what the fans wanted. Um, I think, I think issue one actually predated it by a year or two. Um, because once OzCon finished, again, was it a coincidence that we that the people that I just or the comics I just mentioned and the people who were making them, uh, was it just a coincidence they were all about the same age and we just didn't have the time anymore? Mm-hmm. Um, but after OzCon stopped happening, Australian comics like fell into a bit of a trough again, and there was very few uh, regular kind of comics like that. There were some. I've got to you know make sure that I don't say there weren't any. Just because I wasn't making comics doesn't mean there weren't any. Yeah. Um, but it was it was a much quieter period, and then when uh, when Comic Fest and Supernova, and then after that OzCon happened, it seems like that was the really big explosion of like there is so many comics now. I went through I went through a period. It wasn't a period for for most of my life. Once I discovered Australian comics, if I saw an Australian comic, I would buy it. So I, I had every Australian comic I'd ever seen up until a point where I just said to myself, there is there are too many now <laughs> like i can't <laughs> buy one of everything yeah. anymore i'm not the i'm not the national library um i, I, I just can't buy one of everything yeah. so it got that big and it, and it became that much more accessible i guess as well uh, and again i think part of that was uh was zine fairs as well of all of a sudden there was a lot more comics that i'd ever seen because people had the um the example of someone going here's my comic and you would buy it you go this is just on photocopy paper i could do that so next year you know there's five more people because they're going i made one because i could see how easy it was and then there's five more from each of those so that exponential growth is like because of i think because of a regular comic convention or conventions uh the rise of zine uh, culture as as a as a great Mm -hmm. cultural uh, and creative methodology um I think because manga, uh, the anime influx, and then manga because of that, and then uh, the fact that, uh, to to, to be kind of coarse in in my language, girls started reading comics. It's like all of this just expanded comics at about the same time. Um, And that's that's got a huge correlation in Australia and the way Australian comics kind of reacted to that as well. It's it's fantastic. It's like it's it's never been a better time, and that again is why uh, the Ledger Awards or, or the the, the C Triple A's you know are an important thing now as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And um, I, I think uh, the what you said there about uh, festivals is really really important. And yeah, scene fairs. But also in the last few years, what we've seen with the Perth Comic Arts Festival and Paper Cards, we need festivals yeah. like that that are dedicated to comics and just comics, yeah. you know. Uh, and um, I, I've been lucky to to go to the Perth Comic Arts Festival twice, 
And yeah, I, I was just amazed, you know, to, mm -hmm. to see that room full of people who are just selling comics. Yeah. Uh, and and to see the, the whole variety of them, you know, it, it's just, it's, it's really amazing. It's beautiful and really inspiring. And you think, yeah. okay, you know, Australian comics are doing well and, uh, and there are lots of them and they've, they've got a future. And I think also, um, you know, the, the awards, of course, are really important for that as well. Mm. And, um, and we don't have the budget to give an award, but uh, for libraries, we thought um, when we started as a group, one of the things that we thought as well was, well, you know, there are so many Australian comics, but there are also lots of them that we can't get at the library. Mm. Uh, but, you know, if we look at which ones um, are available, um, you know, like libraries, usually they have, you need like a perfect bound thing, ISBN number, mm. and it needs to be available through library suppliers and things like that. And if we look at which ones are available and we we produce a list ourselves, which is not competing with the uh, with the uh, awards, uh, you know, it's just for libraries and to say, look, from last year, these are the graphic novels by Australian creators that you should um, have a have a look and you should have on your shelves, and uh, you know, and a little bit like with the awards, we don't do bronze, silver, and gold, but we do the long list and we do the short list. There are no winners. We just mm. do the long list and the short list, you know, uh, because some libraries will have the budget to buy all of them, and they should, in my opinion, mm. you know, but, but, you know, if you have budget constraints, which is understandable, you know, these are the ones that you absolutely must have. Yeah. You know, uh, I think it's really important to, to have, have a body like Alia to, 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 uh, to do the thinking for some people who who may not have the time to or, or the expertise to to look into it themselves, that's a great thing. Absolutely, yeah, we we're trying, and uh, and we get emails, and we get emails, and I've noticed that a lot of the emails that we get asking for help are from librarians, uh, from school libraries, uh, where very often it's probably the only uh, librarian in the school, mm. um, and they don't have as many resources. Uh, or, uh, or limited budget, uh, and also some um, rural uh, libraries as well, you know. So, yeah, and, and that's why everything that we do as well and we compile, we, we just make it available freely, publicly Fantastic. available, you know. Yeah. Uh, that, that's Very our good. ethos. So, yeah. Anyway, enough about us. Um, <laughs> your comments. Uh, now, greener pastures. Um the original run was from the early 90s to yeah. about 1998, if mm -hmm. I'm right. And mm -hmm. it was published in Australia and internationally as well. Um, what was it about and why did it end after seven issues? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great question. So, yeah, we, we, do, uh, we do floppies, right? So yeah. we do... Uh, so that's number six. Um, so, which was the way to do them back then, right? That was you wouldn't release a graphic novel like straight out out of the mm -hmm. the, the gate. Um, and the thing is, again, one of the big differences between now and then was that we had newsagent distribution, which meant uh, we would print between eight and ten thousand copies, most of which would go to Gordon and Gotch to distribute internet. Uh, distribute nationally through uh through news agents in fact internationally because some of them would go to new zealand and um and that was where where we got most of our fan base from it was fantastic to be getting you know fan mail from country towns uh because you know somebody gone to the to the news agent and picked up these weird comics and then realized that they were australian made that was a really important thing for a lot of people uh in remote areas um and that just doesn't happen now. News agents just don't want comics, uh, so that's not a, a, an option. But and the idea would be that you would you would do your your uh, serialized story, and then you would collect them, which we never quite kind of got around to, um, so that uh, if anyone wanted back issues, they could read the stories that way. Um, so 
We, I say we because I work with a writing partner, Michael Michelandos. Uh, so we were making Greener Pastures. It started, I'll just very quickly kind of go over this. We started it as a comic strip in his university newspaper, and that ran for a year, ran for, for 12 episodes, uh, which was really cool. I, I, I really enjoyed that time, and the story was great. Uh, he and I came up with the, the story together. Um, uh, I, I actually was on a farm and saw cows and bulls looking very bored in the fields and 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 had the first like four pages of of what's now the comic come to me like there there and then on the farm and i when we got home from the holiday i said to michael how's this for an idea for a story and he took that idea and has turned it into like this massive epic which we're, we're still trying to tell um so after we did that comic strip and he uh um uh, graduated from uni we couldn't do that for the uni paper so we said let's make it a comic book and we'll start from the beginning again and retell it uh, and that's what we've we've been trying to do ever since yeah. uh so the reason why we got to seven issues in fact we got to seven and a half issues because we do these weird things called half issues so seven yeah. and a half was the last <laughs> the last issue um was because we life was just getting too busy and there's there were there is there was no money in it uh, at yeah. the time um it's just extremely time-consuming activity. Comic making is extremely time-consuming. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I had a couple of kids and a mortgage and a, and a job, um, and it became hard. So Michael and I, uh, you know, whenever I thought I probably had the time to do it, I would say, Michael, let's get back into it. And he'd say, I, I actually don't have the time right now. And then anytime he said, I've got time to do it, I'd say, I, I don't at the moment. Yeah. And we just never – been able to synchronize uh until just recently uh we've re kind of synchronized and it's possibly because our kids are now adults uh um and our our careers or uh he's got a career i don't really have a career but uh our our work lives are kind of stabilized enough that yeah. we can find a way to to do this so uh so that's why we're we're back at it so yeah number seven was the last full issue um and uh, this is not the final cover, but number eight, that was the preview edition for number eight. Number eight uh, follows directly on from number seven. So it's like 27 years later <laughs> in between issues. But uh, in Trevor, that's the main character, Trevor, in his life, um, it's like 24 hours later. So it's still set in 1997. Uh, yeah. And uh, we've relaunched it. So that was actually... Uh, first written in 1997 number eight uh and we're publishing it in 2024 um and i thought that would be an interesting bridge because it was written and i'd thumbnailed it uh but we never got around to publishing it or, or drawing it up properly and publishing yeah. it uh, i thought that'd be an interesting bridge to the new stuff because we've got um that's number eight we've got nine ten and eleven already written and they're all set in 1997 uh, we've got 12 onwards set in the 2020s, and Trevor is then at, uh, in those issues is a middle-aged man, uh, a middle-aged minotaur, sorry, <laughs> um, and uh, and we're, we're we're kind of following whether or not the his decision to leave the farm, um, you know, yeah. <laughs> whether he's still happy with that as a decision or not. Yeah. Um, I suppose I've kind of skipped the idea of the story. The story is Trevor is a bull on a farm who's just so bored with farm life that he just knocks on the farmer's door and says, I'm bored. Can I come in? Uh, there must be something else to life. So he's the only animal character in, in yeah. the book. I've actually had somebody ask me recently, you know, oh, what do you know about furry comics? Like, I don't really know that much. I'm not, it's not like I make furry comics. I make comics. Uh, and in this comic, the main character is an anthropomorphic bull, but everybody else is a human. It's not like that's what I, focus yeah. in on it's um that's the character and it's an important part of the story the fact that he's a bull and nobody else is and nobody seems to realize he is and how does that affect him psychologically and um and, and what why and he's learning why about he, life yeah exactly and that was the, the yeah. reason why we started it we needed a cipher to act uh for the for the reader in in our um uh, in our commentary, right? It, it's a mm -hmm. satire, especially at the beginning. It was very much a satirical comic, kind of uh, subtly, you know, making commentary about different things, right? Yeah. Um, and we needed somebody who was who was 
uh, naive and, and inexperienced to be able to uh, allow that to happen. Um, and that was Trevor. Um, yeah. So that it becomes a lot more than that. <laughs> so I said to you, I, I, I gave to Michael the idea of, of this bull who's so bored that he wants to leave the farm. What do you think of that as a story? And the next time he and I got together, Michael had give, Michael gave me this, I think it's like three little paragraphs of Trevor's entire life story from that point on. Like he'd, he'd written this entire kind of idea, mm-hmm. um, which we always wanted to tell. It's that Greener Pastures has a beginning, middle and end, uh, and we're not even near the middle yet. <laughs> so, uh, but we want to tell this story and that's why we're kind of back on it. Um, so a few more stories set in, this, in the 1990s before we get to the, the, the large epic, which if you happen to pick up uh, Gary Challoner's uh, Adventure Illustrated comics, uh, Adventure Illustrated 1 and 2, which I had uh, uh, some pages in both of those um, both of those comics. Actually, here's one here. Yeah. Um, so that was Adventure Illustrated 2. That's actually the middle-aged Trevor. Um, so you kind of got a bit of a, a, uh, a preview mm-hmm. of, of yeah. what's going to be coming up in a few issues' time yeah. with a – a middle-aged Trevor who's now a lawyer uh, and not very happy about being yeah. such. Yeah. So th- this is really cool because uh, um, not only you're making a comeback, but you you actually have a, a very clear and ambitious plan, I, I should say. Um, now, uh, issue number eight, which is the one now on Kickstarter, mm. or by the time this comes out, maybe the Kickstarter's just finished. We'll see. But, yeah. Uh if it's still live, check it out. Um, uh, you have an incredible roster of uh, of artists in that issue. What what was it like, uh, um, you know, uh, contacting and getting all these artists on board, uh, you know, to to make this very special issue? Because every page is a different artist. Yeah, yeah. Nearly every page is a different artist. I've actually got six pages in there, but uh, every other page is by somebody else. So the idea was this whole idea of the bridge from the last time we did something to now, such a long period. Um, I mean, we have done a couple of mini comics and short stories, but really as an ongoing thing, it's been such a long period. I wanted to make a bit of a splash. I wanted to have a bit of a party. Uh, I wanted to to make it quite, um, you know, quite a, a a big deal in as many ways as I could, right? Um, so I thought, let's do a jam comic uh, where uh, the story's written. I do thumbnails so everybody knows what is on every page, but every, uh, every new artist has got a different page to do, and they can do it in whatever way that they want as long as they get through the, uh, the amount of story that they have to for that particular page. Um, so that the pages all sync up. Uh, sometimes a jam issue where people are able to do whatever they want, it just becomes disjointed. But this actually flows really well. And the people who have read it so far are, are actually surprised just how uh, how well it flows, even though um, the, the, the type of art changes dramatically throughout. Um, so one of the, the, the secrets to that was that I inked the entire thing. So everybody gave me pencil drawings, which is, you know, a method that is often used. You draw in pencil and you go over it in ink. Um, so everybody gave me their pencils uh, and I did the inks over the top to try to, to give some sort of consistency, some sort of stylistically uh, consistent look to it. Um, I know some people are only listening to the podcast, not watching it, but I'm holding up two pages or a double page spread, um, Mm -hmm. which are in completely different styles. That's by Aaron Hunting uh, on the left uh, and uh, Al Barrianuvo on the right. Um, And, you know, Aaron's work is is kind of goofy, Bigfoot, cartoon, big eye stuff, um, while Al's work is is quite realistic he likes to work in a very realistic style um and and they just happen to be on opposing pages uh and that's probably you know the big introduction i think for people that page by page things might change a little bit but the the story continues yeah but it's it it see it seems to have worked and it's a really like you said it's a really interesting uh book because of that 
And your question was, what was it like working with them? Was it was like herding cats? <laughs> it was. It's, it, this is running like probably nearly two years late. This has been in the in the in the pipeline for a while, uh, but uh, but it, it's it's an amazing experience. As as a comic book artist, I actually really love every step in the process i love thumbnails and trying to figure out how to tell a story mm. uh, i love the pencils because that's the drawing part of it i love inking because that's it's not quite a technical exercise but it's like this finishing exercise where you're using different parts of your brain to the penciling part of it so i love every aspect of it mm. but to, to ink 28 or tw 29 different artists was really incredible uh, to not overpower them and make it look like it's Tim's work, um, but also to try to give that uh, that artistic consistency a little bit um, uh, was amazing. And to learn stuff was incredible. I've got uh, just there um, uh, Ashley Wood's page. Ashley Wood is is like one of the most incredible artists to come out of Australia um, and when I finally got his page this is one of the, the last ones to come in um, oh, I was so excited it's such an incredible page and this is mm. one of the things in my own art making process that I, I lack like this placement of lots of solid black areas and shadows and how does that work and it's too scary and then to get a page where it forces me to do that I was going yes learn yeah. what you can while you're doing that please tim there's so much yeah. to do but you yeah. know a couple of pages after that is is dean rankin who draws in a very simpsons kind of style yeah. um he's never had anyone ink him before ever uh so he was really kind of interested interested to see what that would look like when i go over his pencils so yeah. incredible it's experience really, i'm really, really glad i did it um, it's a really really interesting process and uh, uh I think it makes this issue really, really special. Uh, and the fact that this is the comeback issue, you know, makes it yeah. really, really special. So, yeah, um, uh, I, I, I supported the Kickstarter, and I'm, I'm, yes, thank you. I'm so looking forward to to reading it all. So, yeah, yeah. If if we if we're on if we're in time, just go to Kickstarter.com and look up Greener Pastures and and look for the look for the Dancing Bull uh, and. Um, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Please Green do. Our pastures, uh, Kickstarter. Now, yeah. um, what is it like collaborating with Michael again? I mean, you've been friends, yeah. you know, for a long time. You made these comics, and then, as you said, you know, life took over. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, and now you're you're back again, and obviously you have plans for all these issues and everything. Is, is this something that you've been talking about all these years? Yeah, absolutely. We yeah. like I said, that the, there's always been an ending to do, and, and just trying to find time in our lives to do it has been the hard thing. So, for well, so really interestingly, right? There was a point at which I said to Michael, "How about we get back on the greener pastures story? Let's let's do it." And he said to me, "You know what, Tim? I was." much younger when i drew those com when i wrote those comics we were we were just outside out of university we mm -hmm. were, were writing stories about university age um characters right that's where the 1990s stuff is set at, at, in, in the university kind of yeah. um, atmosphere he said i don't know that i can write that anymore that's not me anymore and it was at that point that i went oh you're right it's understandable totally forget it and it's off. And at that point, I thought we would never make another Greener Pastures comic again. Um, but there was there's an American comic uh, that was published in the 90s as well called uh, Hepcats. Uh, amazing comic. And it's such a shame that it ended like on this enormous cliffhanger. There was supposed to be another graphic novel that was going to – anyway, it's such a great comic. Yeah. Um, but he did a similar thing where he just stopped writing it and then like – 10 or 15 years later, he released a mini comic. This guy is Martin Wagner. Um, he released a mini comic uh, and he skipped all the intervening years in the characters' lives and just gave us a 10 pager that showed where they were now, all the characters. You know, one yeah. of them was in hospital, two of them got married, blah, blah, blah. And it was really like, again, as somebody who was so in love with the Hepcats comic, to, to get 10 more pages was fantastic. Yeah. 
and and Michael and I were at a comic convention and we were standing in the middle of the floor, you know, with people everywhere, cosplayers walking by, blah, 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 noises. And there was about four or five other uh, comic book creators. We were just having a chat and Michael was standing opposite me. Uh, and I said, oh, Michael, by the way, I just saw this thing with Hepcats, blah, blah, blah. What if we decide to not write Trevor in the 1990s and, and write him middle-aged like we are now and just skip all the intervening years? And he went, oh, yeah. I mean, anyway, just think about that. And we just continued to talk, the, the whole group of us that were there. Uh, and like five minutes later, I looked across at Michael again, and, and he, he had his head cocked back just a little bit. Yeah. He was looking at the ceiling. And he wasn't listening to what was being said. And he was just off with the fairies. And I went, Michael, you're already writing it, aren't you? He said, yeah, yeah, yeah I am. Yeah. So at that <laughs> point, like it clicked that we could just skip the intervening years. Where is Trevor now? Um, and that's where uh, what I what I was referring to as a working title, Greener Pastures, The End, that's where that script came from. So that script is fully written um, uh, I've got it here in my drawers somewhere. It's a script about this thick. That's the typed out script. It's huge. Um, he said, there'll be three issues. I went, okay. Uh, and then I got what was supposed to be the first issue. I said, there's three issues just in your first issue there, Michael. <laughs> and then he gave me the second chapter. We stopped calling them issues. And there's like five issues in this. Oh, yeah, probably four or five issues in the second chapter. So there's there's quite a few issues to go but it explains why Trevor is what he is and how he came to be and what is he and his mates going to do about it. Yeah. Um, so he, and it's a, it's a very personal story as well for Michael. It, 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 it talks a lot about him because he's a lawyer, talks a lot about him in his work and how he feels about um, the work that he does. And, yeah. and, and, you know, so it's, it's, it's very intimate in places, very personal, but it's also going to be a huge epic. Um, and I, I hadn't thought about that word ambitious until you used it. You're saying it's very ambitious what Tim's doing. I'm going, oh, my God, that's the exact word. It is very oh, ambitious. It's very <laughs> no, doable. It's a good word. <laughs> it's very doable. <laughs> it is doable. I've got a plan. Yes. Um, so I, I'm, I'm hoping that within the next – few years uh yeah. we'll we'll get that story yeah. done it i don't know what i'll what i'll do with my life if if i don't get this story finished it's been around for so long and it's such a great story from the first time michael gave me those three paragraphs it i wanted to yeah. to have have the two of us tell that story yeah no no that that's really cool so like, let's talk a little bit about that actually so um you've got the kickstarter for issue number eight now but you're also working on other issues and also a graphic novel? Yeah, so the idea is that we're going to continue, because uh, I'm an old man and I've, I'm, I, I like my old-fashioned ways, we're going to continue doing it as floppies, um, but we are going to be collecting the floppies uh, into trade paperbacks. Um, and as we go, I think those trade paperbacks will get thicker and thicker because the story will, will, will need a thicker. So anyway, th this year... On Kickstarter, we're releasing uh, eight, nine, and ten uh, floppies, and then at the end of the year, we're going to collect the first four issues uh, into a trade paperback. So I've still got a few copies of the of the first four floppies, uh, but they're running out. I've I've actually got uh, only very few copies of number two and number four left. So at the end of the year, the only way to get them will be in the trade paperback, I would say. Yeah. So trade paperback, reprinting of one to four. Next year, I want to uh, do a, a trade paperback of five to eight uh, because they both make really good arcs. Uh, they're, yeah. they're a really good kind of encapsulated story as a volume one and a volume two. Um, and then the, the subsequent uh, trade paperbacks will be... Uh, 9, 10, and 11, which will be uh, the end of the 1990s era. And then from that point on will be the big graphic novel uh, ending to the story, uh, which will release in chapters. There's five chapters. Each one will be a slightly thicker than the last. Yeah. Again, so I'm finishing the singles. Uh, then we'll collect them as trade paperbacks, probably on an annual basis. So the trade paperbacks will be able to go in the libraries, right? <laughs> yes, yes. Well, exactly. So, um, yeah. O um, obviously, when you release the trade paperbacks, they'll be on Kickstarter initially, I imagine. Yes. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, but then you're going to make them available to stores and library suppliers and things like that? Awesome. Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. I, I can't wait. That That's uh, that's really exciting. That's Great. really exciting. I remember Thank actually you. talking to you. Um, I think <laughs> it was... I think it was at PICAF, maybe, in 2022. And and yeah. and you had... Were you there? Yeah, that would be right. Yeah. Yes. 22, yeah. And I remember talking to you and you had, for greener pastures, I was ready to buy them, but you had um, you had one or two issues missing. And I'm like, I'm sorry, Tim, I can't buy this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, know? we did so well at that at that show. PCAF is amazing. But yeah, by yeah. the end of the, the trading day, we had several issues sold out. It was, a, it was great. Yeah, so I'm like, I'm sorry, but I, I can't buy it because I, I can't yeah. read the full story. So <laughs> totally. I'll wait, I'll wait, I'll yeah. wait. And yeah. now I'll be able to read everything. So yeah, that's exactly. really exciting. Um, so I've read bits and pieces and I really like what I've read. So Thank you. Yeah. I've, uh, look, I find that this is, like I'm not, when, when I'm on a platform like like this, on a podcast like this, I find it hard to talk about how great we are, right? Because um, I, I just, I, it doesn't feel comfortable to talk like yes. that. But when I'm at a convention, you're playing salesman, so you have to say how great the comic is, obviously. But but I, I if people are kind of umming and ahhing about buying comics, you know, I, I say buy the first issue. It's a pretty low investment cost-wise, buy the first issue. But read it at lunch because you're going to come back and buy at least three more, if not everything on the table. And they do. Yeah. Every time, or almost every time, if they read it at lunchtime, yeah. they will come back. If they've only bought the first one, they'll come back and buy up to four, up to number yeah. four. Um, and I try to sell one to four as a as a lot because, like I said, that makes a really great arc. Um, yeah. And I say, again, read them at lunchtime because you want to come back and buy the rest. And they do because the story is so engaging. It's funny and it's heartfelt. Um, and you know, we we don't play up the whole uh, cliffhanger thing, but you want to know what happens next in Trevor's life, and um, so, uh, like that—that's that's the unbiased evidence that if I say come back, you'll want to come back. They do yeah. because it's it's a really good story, and I'm I'm glad that we're able to make a good story. Yeah, excellent, and it's very exciting for libraries. Take note that um, yeah, there, there will be trade paperbacks coming up. And yeah. uh, then finishing with a graphic novel. So yeah, we're, we're going to hear from you guys for the next few years, definitely. Very exciting. And um, uh, so I, at the end, actually, we always like to ask, um, for two or three comics or graphic novels you'd like to recommend? Two or three. Cool. Yeah, and it can be something that you read recently and you're like, oh, this is a really good one. People should read, or something that mm. was an inspiration or an influence for Greener Pastures. Yeah, or your so, all-time favorites, whatever you want. Yeah, I actually, I, I meant to grab a copy of Cerebus because I know I've got one lying around somewhere, but I must have, I must have put it away. Um, so Cerebus is probably the biggest influence on my artwork and my storytelling style, um, and. I, I don't it, – it's it's collected in, in big volumes and uh, it's one of the greatest comics I've ever read in my life. Uh, there's there's quite a few volumes. Like it's about this thick when you put them all together and it's one continuous story. Um, Two-thirds of that is like absolutely amazing. I find the last third kind of hard going. Um, but uh, Dave Sim is the creator uh, and I know uh, that there are issues with talking about Dave Sim, uh, but as a piece of work, it's an incredible piece of work. But from Dave Sim's own admission, the story actually ends two thirds of the way through, and the last third really is is a is an epilogue, which is you know part of the reason why I I find it drags. Um, but mm -hmm. there are there are two parts of that: uh, High Society and Church and State Volume One and Church and State Volume Two, which are, are really are you know. Three of the, the the most amazing volumes of comics I've ever read in my life, um, and I had Church and State Volume Two lying around here in the studio yeah. for a while, and I've, I I don't have it. Um, but anyway, that's that's number one. Cerebus is yeah. it's hard to get into um, 
because it's a product of its time um, in that it makes satirical reference to a lot of comics of the time. Um, but there's also a, a few uh, socio-political issues uh, with the with the writer artist as well. Mm-hmm. But it's absolutely worth reading regardless. It's just incredible piece of work. Yeah. I won't talk much about Bone because Bone is, you know, everybody knows what Bone is, but um, that again is like one of those 1990s black and white comics that was just, you know, amazing to discover at the time. Um, yeah. I I read Monsters uh, a little while ago. Barry Windsor Smith's Monsters, definitely not a book for kids. It is so intense. But uh, in all honesty, I, I feel like this is probably the best comic I've ever read in my life. It was, it's so amazing. Um, and it's nice and thick. Uh, and it's so immersive. I just yeah. love it. I've always loved Barry Windsor Smith since the first time I saw his work on Conan and the Barbarian uh, in the late 70s. <laughs> Same. But but if yeah. this is the last thing he ever do- does, which, you know, he's yeah. kind of saying is is the case, um, yeah. Barry Windsor Smith's Monsters is like, what a way to go out. Incredible. Yeah. I actually, what, what, when that was announced, I, um, yeah. I was so excited. And then I... Uh, I requested it for the library, and uh, I remember getting an email back saying, um, "This is really, really expensive. Uh, are you sure?" And like, no, we must have that. Yeah, it's gonna be one of the most important comics released in yeah. I don't know how many years. It's, yeah, this is a magnum opus. Definitely, yeah, 100%. we need to have it. Yeah, Ooh, what a it's piece amazing. of work! I, I love amazing. it so much. I I um, remember reading it. I finished it. I waited a couple of days, and then I read it again. Yeah, but really slowly. The second yeah. time, I was like, "I'm gonna actually luxuriate in every <laughs> yeah. panel," you know, yeah. and, and, every and just page. just trying to. Um... You know, pick apart the the story construction as well, and going, oh, this is he did say this before that to lead into something that happens four hundred pages later or whatever. So well constructed. It yeah. took him like thirty years or something to make it, twenty or thirty years. Um, I remember when I was lecturing in comic books at the Uni of Western Sydney, uh, like twenty years ago, I was using panels from it that he'd already drawn. Uh, you know, as a coming soon sort of thing, which, you know, <laughs> was 20 years later coming soon. I don't feel so yeah. bad that mine's 30 years later. Yeah. Um, the other one is is uh, From Hell, from yeah. uh, oops, Alan Moore and, and um, Eddie Campbell. Um, again, uh, I really feel like this is one of the best comics I've ever read in my life. Yeah. I love the fact that the comics I really like now are like huge big hunking volumes. I that, was just about you know, to comment. You, you've got beautiful omnibus editions. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I love them like that. I love them like that. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Uh, Excellent recommendations. They are my recommendations. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And on top of that, look, j- just really quickly, I think I don't read comics as much as I want to anymore. It's just it's so hard to find the time. And I finally got around to reading a few um, volumes of Tom Taylor's Nightwing. Uh, I still enjoy a good superhero comic every now and again. And because I don't read them very often, it often feels fresh to me, even though uh, other people may not feel like it's fresh. I really enjoyed Tom Taylor's Nightwing. I thought that was really cool. Um, and I read uh, Chris Gooch's uh, uh, Under Earth, finally got around to reading Under Earth. And I thought that was really good as well. Great fun, uh, pretty intense in places. It was that was a really well-made comic. So they were like two of the latest things I've read. Well, you, you need to read the new one in utero. Yeah, it's, yeah uh, I'm very really, keen. Really good. I really loved yeah. it. Really, yeah. really enjoyed it, and and I love that you mentioned that about Tom as well because uh, I don't read many superhero comics these days, but you know occasionally I pick up some here and there just to see what's going on, and I always enjoy his comics, and uh, they're always really fun to read, and as I mentioned in the podcast just recently. With Nightwing, I really feel like he's actually him and Bruno Redondo. They're, they're really mm. making something really special. Yeah, uh, it's I enjoy everything he does, but this one I feel it's something really, really special. And I'm so sad that they recently announced that their run is going to. Yeah, finish. yeah, yeah. No, it was uh, good fun. I'm glad I'm finally getting around to it. I've I've done two volumes. I'm keen to go. Pardon me, go into town and buy a third volume and 
Yeah, it's nice and to I love just the read. fact that they're also having fun with it, and oh, absolutely, they're trying, uh, they're trying different things and they're experimenting, uh, you know, yeah. with some yeah. of the issues and uh, yeah. So yeah. yeah, see, this is this is one of the things with serialized comics, right? Like Nightwing comes out once a month, Cerebus would come out once a month. I'm going to try to get my comics out, you know, once every two to three months. Being serialized enables you to say this this little capsule of 20 pages i'm going to experiment in a certain way for just this little period when you collect them it starts you know maybe it feels like a little bit jarring but on on that you know issue by issue basis it's actually really interesting the experiments that dave sim did in cerebus he -hmm. once did an issue where it was like just reading it it's like a fever dream and you're trying to figure out what's going on until somebody figured out that if you take all the pages, you know, photocopy them all and stick them all together, it turns into one huge meta image. Um, yeah. And the story is taking place in this huge image, right? Um, mm-hmm. So that kind of experimentation is harder to do in in, in a full graphic novel. Um, yeah. You know, Asterius Polyp was, was a great experiment in lots of different ways of storytelling. Um, I'm pretty sure that was uh, Musicelli, wasn't it? it? I'm pretty sure he said in the past that that was part of the reason for doing it was to experiment with different ways of telling yeah. a comic story. Um, but you know, that's a bit risky when you're doing a couple of hundred pages in 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 an experimental way. You yeah. know, so yeah, that that's another reason why I'm keen to do this uh, in a serialized fashion. So every so often, if I want to do something that's a little bit different, I can do that, and it's only a twenty page investment rather than a 200 page investment that's awesome look it's been wonderful to talk to you tim thanks Um, i'm glad we finally did it yes we finally did it yes um and i personally can't wait for you know for the issues that are coming up and uh for the trades because i usually don't buy floppies i make exceptions every now and then but uh, i usually don't buy floppies um so yeah um Really, really looking forward. And as I said, um, people just look up the Kickstarter for Greener Pastures and uh, there will be this one, maybe still alive when this comes out, maybe not, uh, but there, there are more coming up in the next few months as well. And um, the trade paperbacks as well for libraries. So yeah, thank you so Brilliant. much. Thank you.